The World of Dark Ages podcast presents Side Quests, tidbits and inspiration for the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Side Quests. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, as you've probably noticed, we have a Patreon, and we have two new patrons, so big shout-out to Roger Nichols and Jinx. Thank you so much for supporting our podcast. Thank you, both of you. Yeah. I have also been uploading the podcast on the Patreon page as soon as I've edited it. So if you join our Patreon, you will get the podcast earlier. Though how much earlier kind of depends on when I get around to editing the podcast. Uh, I I usually do it on, on Thursday, but sometimes uh, I, I do it all earlier. Also depends on when Peter sends me his part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that's computer related. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll try to be better with that. No, uh, that's, it's, that's it's cool. It's a strange world we live in, so I, I can see that editing can take some time at, at places. Yeah, it's also, you know, when, when I when I have the time with work and everything. Mm. But anyway, Peter, how's it going, mate? Well, it's it's going uh, kind of good, actually. I'm I'm doing something very non-medieval related. I'm, I'm actually working uh, on a Fallout cosplay uh, because it, it's just a vault suit, so I've been sewing on yellow uh, numbers on uh, on, a, on a jumpsuit. But uh, it's well, it's when at the time uh, that this podcast will be out, it's it's uh, already it will already happen. But uh, there's there's like this challenge that uh, it, they call it a remote military march. Uh, it's it's a Finnish uh, surplus and outdoors store who's who's doing it as as a thing. Uh, and so you're supposed to, to walk uh, either uh, 25 or uh, 50 kilometers uh, during a day. Uh, and last year I did it in Finnish World War Two era gear, uh, and that was okay. But my feet were not used to those kind of jackboots that they had. <laughs> um, so, so my respect for for the people in my family who had to actually fight a war wearing those kind of boots is immense. Um, but this year, I'm I'm figuring that it, it was fun to, to take a hike, but I'm 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 going to do it with something that allows me to wear proper footgear. So I'm I'm doing the post-apocalyptic thing uh, mm. right now. The the store that's doing it is that the store that's been featured on Forgotten Weapons. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Ah. To to I don't know how much we should do shoutouts or, or <laughs> if, if they will well, sue us I mean, or something. But... Forgotten Weapons isn't exactly uh, a a historical channel. Um, Depending on how you define historical, it's not a me- medieval channel, mm. but it's kind kind of fun if you like if you like weapons, yeah, uh, specifically guns. Yeah, uh, and and for what he showed from the store, it looked like a, a great place to get some uh, some outdoors gear. Anyway, yeah, it, it is. Uh, but in in a couple of weeks, in I think it should be around the twelfth to the fourteenth of May. There's there's another challenge. Uh, it's the uh, Saint Corona Pilgrim Challenge. Uh, there, there is actually a, a saint called Saint Corona. Uh, uh, she has nothing to do is. with uh, with sickness or disease. I can't remember what what she's about, but uh, there there's Crowns. a thing uh, that that you can do. Uh, so you're supposed to do a bit of a pilgrim march, and and so since I have fourth uh, century uh, gear, I'm I'm going to do that. I'll I'll probably cheat with the with the foot gear as well, mm. uh, but it's it's gonna be fun. Uh, so, so me and uh, my girlfriend and some other will be will be doing this uh, both the remote military march and uh, the pilgrim thing 
uh, together, which which is kind of cool. So so that's what's happening with me. How how are things down in Denmark? Uh well, country slowly opening up. Weather's getting nice. Um, I um, I said goodbye to some uh, some kids yesterday. Um, I work as I've mentioned, an after-school club for kids. And they can stay in our club until third grade, and then they have to move on to uh, what's called a youth club, which is fourth to uh, ninth or tenth grade. And so um, this, I, I've been um, uh, the, the main guy for this uh, class for, uh, for a year and a half now. And so we're we're going to say goodbye to them. They'll start their their club time uh, in in May. And so yesterday we had a, a party, and they we stuffed them full of candy, and um, they uh, they had dinner, and then their parents came and picked them up, so that we could say goodbye to the parents. So today I'm just really tired because I was running around doing all sorts <laughs> of stuff yesterday. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, things are things are looking up down here, which is which is kind of nice. Hopefully we can uh, it during the summer or at least after the summer actually start traveling again and meeting people and all sorts of stuff <laughs> yeah let's, um, let's keep a finger crossed for that oh yeah so um i don't really have a transition so let's just go straight <laughs> into the uh, the podcast for the side quest uh, we'll carry on what we started last time uh, and answer questions asked by uh, our listener and patron luke langstrad uh, he asks two questions what would meeting the prince be like in a couple of different major cities or even minor one, ones? And also, what does it mean to be nobility in different cultures slash clans? Um, let's start with the second one and, and let's hear what you have to say about the whole nobility thing. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, of course, this is something that, that varies from, from place to place. Uh, but, but my kind of jumping off point is to, uh, to, to compare... Uh, the the life of, of a noble person to to what a peasant life would be like uh, because as as a peasant you you kind of you you know what to do uh, and you you get up in the morning and you milk your cows and you plow your fields and stuff like that um, and for for a, a noble noble man usually or a noble woman for that matter it's it's more like being being a manager or, or, or being a boss of not necessarily a company but but you're running uh, you, you're running other people's people's business as well as your own. Um, so, so, so you you get up in the morning. Usually, you you pray, especially if you're rich enough to have your own chapel in your castle mm. or keep. So, you you're not going to have a, a, a chapel and then not use it because uh, it's, it's both a religious a matter and and a matter of status. Like, yeah, I, I have my personal priest who can who can do mass or or whatever. Um, and and then you would you would do things that um, kind of kind of like running running everyday business in in the uh, in the castle. Like you would um, you, you would make sure that your your subjects are doing what they're supposed to do, uh, like overseeing uh, buildings, uh, the, the building of, of things, uh, and and like everyday running uh, running your castle and and doing things. Uh, a, a lot of what you would do would probably also be uh, training and and practicing for for warfare. And we've kind of touched upon this subject previously that a lot of things that you do as as a nobleman uh, is preparing for war in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and for me, I think it's kind of an, an interesting subject because a lot of the things that we today would consider 
being something that you would do for for leisure or or in your free time back then was actually something that you had to do like hunting for example was quite literally putting meat on the table and as we mentioned also a way to prepare yourself for for killing and and bloodshed and and being messy and stuff like that so yeah, and, and riding in, in difficult circumstances. I mean, riding during a hunt is, is kind of comparable to a modern-day police officer taking a defensive driving course. Yeah, that's that's actually a very good way of putting it. Uh, and and so the I, I would say that a nobleman would have, uh, compared to a peasant, uh, would, would probably have a lot more free time. And by that, I mean time that he can choose how he wants to spend it. Uh, himself uh, but he doesn't necessarily have leisure time because the things that he does is uh, uh, is, is still connected to uh, to to what he, he does which is mainly being a warrior um, and and one must also consider that you you have responsibilities as a nobleman so you oh yes uh, li- like you mentioned you you have to mind other people's business because often you are the one who has to keep the law uh, so you have to act as a adjudicator uh, and yeah, you have to sit in judgment uh, yeah. even I mean if you if if you have an area where there are peasants living there then the peasants actually have the right to yeah. bring their grievances to you. It's not something where you can say, okay, seriously, I, I cannot deal with these two guys arguing over a pig. If you do that, then you lose uh, your status as a noble because that is one of the things that makes you a noble is that you can sit in judgment. Yeah, exactly. So you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. So so that's, and, and of course, you, you can always hand it off to, to your lower in commands and, and to your, uh, like, seneschal and... and People like that too, but but you, you are still responsible, and you have to. If you don't do it yourself, you have to delegate this uh, the, this uh, quest or this this job to someone else. So you still have to decide what's what has to be done. Uh, and and so uh, another big difference from from uh, how life is today in general is is that of course. Uh, you are still a social person, and you would like to to hang out with your friends and and uh, meet other people and and, and communicate with them. Uh, and and the biggest difference I would say is that it's a lot more time consuming because, uh, well, take take this podcast for example. You're you're down in Copenhagen in Denmark, and I'm halfway up in in Sweden in Uppsala, but we can still communicate in real time. If, yeah, if I mean, this would have been even, the 12th even century, with... I would have to send. Either a letter or or a courier with with a, an uh, oral message to like, hey, do you want to hang out next <laughs> spring or something? And then you would have to plan it because it takes time to to get down there and and so so a lot of these things take a lot more time. Yeah, um, I mean, I remember when when my wife and I came and visited you, uh, it took about five and a half half hours by train. Yeah, uh, which is still an appreciable amount of time. We could have done it a bit quicker if we'd flown. Uh, but we wanted to see the countryside. Mm. But if we go back to the Middle Ages, if if we imagine the two of us being nobles and we wanted to meet and you going to Copenhagen or me going to Uppsala, mm. um, that would take quite a while. I think the quickest way would probably be ship yeah. going around Sweden and then, then uh, up there. I would put that down to... I plan plan it taking a week getting there. It probably yeah. would go faster, but just plan for a week. Yeah, exactly. So and and this this kind of goes with everything. Like if if you're reading a book, 
it's going to take longer and not just because the, the letters are so different from from now and, and difficult but, but people did read slower back then um, as, as an example when when Finland opened its first public library to which was in I can't remember if it's the late 1700s or, or early 1800s but it's it's somewhere around uh, the turn of the century uh, people were allowed to borrow one book and for a period of no longer than a year <laughs> so and and we're not wow. we're not talking like the the collected works of, of Shakespeare and stuff like that. It, it would be like an an average book, and and it took longer then because people weren't as used to. We we consume a lot more uh, reading materials now than than we've ever oh, yeah. done before, and 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 so people weren't just as as used to it. They weren't really that <laughs> availability. You you had to do other things. Um, one one must also remember that unless you have sunlight, uh, access to light is is actually a matter of resources because uh, candles and and most often I would say uh, some kind of of lantern or or lamp uh, is was more common because uh, candles and especially torches uh, is a fire hazard in a way that that an oil lamp oh, is. Yes. Uh, and if you're a vampire, you probably wouldn't <laughs> want a huge uh, torch shining while you're trying to read because it's, it would probably freak you out. So, And so also, I think people uh, overestimate how much light you can get out of, uh, out of a fire. Mm. I mean, I've tried having a bonfire outside yeah. when it's dark, and I'm guessing you have as well. Yeah. Uh, I'd have... I would have to sit so close to it if I wanted to read by that light that I would have to move away every once in a while just to cool down because it doesn't provide as much light as you would think. No, exactly. Fires, uh, especially bonfires, is much better at producing heat than they are at producing light. So, or we should probably say uh, visible light. I'm, I'm currently yeah. listening to uh, a story about, about the... Um, a discovery of quantum mechanics and and they talk about visible light versus invisible light so it does produce light just not light we can see yeah exactly well well yeah we and and we're we're stuck we don't have night vision goggles or infrared mm. uh, cameras so so but yeah so so that's that's an aspect that when when you're planning your game or thinking of how life would be that a lot of the things would, would take a bit longer because it's like it it takes longer to to go by horse than by go by car unless you have these weird teleporting horses that, that was in it uh, so and 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 of course like you even if we live close by even if we are neighbors uh, we probably can't just go like yeah I'm, I'm just gonna ride over the over there to to visit my friend you probably could do it but not really that often because you would interrupt your daily business and you would interrupt their daily business. Um, oh yeah, and and also they would they would have planned ahead as to yeah. what would be served for yeah. dinner and everything. So so if if I just if if you lived next door and I said, "Hang on, I want to visit my friend Peter," and mm -hmm. then just popped over, you would be in real trouble because courtesy demanded that obviously you would host me for dinner. Yeah. But you you may not have the stores to do that, and you'd have to tell the the cooks actually we're kind of hosting, and you wouldn't just be hosting me. I would be bringing my wife if I had children. I might be bringing my oldest son. I would have a small retinue with yeah. me. Everyone would have to be fed because that was also part of the nobles' obligations. Was if somebody came to visit, if if either a nobleman or what you would call a noble of the church came to visit, then obviously you would be a a good host to them. 
Um, so, so you would have to prepare for that. Yeah, exactly. And and again, this this goes back to that to the thing where every everything takes a bit longer because you can't just pop down to the store uh, <laughs> and and buy extra meat or whatever. You actually have to do it. Um, and and this also kind of goes back to to what we've been talking about fairs and and tournaments and jousts and stuff like that. And and that is when you actually get the opportunity to meet a lot of people uh, and and people from far away you take the chance because it's uh, it's well it's not super rare but again it's it's one of the few occasions that you get so you're gonna make the most of it and and you really want to make the most of it too so there will be feasting there will be drinking there will be uh, extramarital sex and so on and so on mm. uh, but that's that's kind of the way life was and i don't know i'm i'm getting these weird parallels to to how it is in 2020 and 2021 like when when we finally get out of lockdown and we can meet people again it's it's going to be like like a medieval uh, fair after the plague when people can meet each other without dying again so uh, that's actually a very good parallel because we're all we're all locked in our castles i mean my apartment uh, is is uh, in in many ways superior to even the the most advanced medieval castle uh, simply because of double glazed windows and radiators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but exactly. but we're locked in our castles, and once we get out, we we're gonna go crazy. But back then, you were locked in your castles not because you couldn't go out because of of plague that came later yeah. in in uh, when when you had the Black Death. Mm. But you were locked in simply because. You couldn't just go out and and meet people. Sure, you could go down to the local village, but I mean the the commoners would be deferential towards you rather than giving you the kind of social interaction you might be looking for. Yeah, exactly. And and this this kind of goes back to to what you're expected to do as as a nobleman, and uh, and the difference with, between free time and leisure. Because as as a nobleman. You, you you can choose what you want to do, but you still have a long list of things that you have to do. But but as a peasant uh, or even a day worker, when you've done your your stuff for the day, you can actually pop down to the pub and uh, and grab a beer with your mates, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, and so, it's also very important. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm I'm just, I'm just saying that this is this is kind of nobility in general, but. Uh, then I would like to touch a bit on, on uh, more of the particulars because uh, at least up here in Sweden, uh, in during this this time setting, uh, we we really didn't have well we did have established noble families, but uh, the the, um, uh, the the proper kind of of uh, established uh, nobility uh, as as a way to get out of taxes by doing a kind of military service, and that is as serving as a knight. Uh, actually, didn't uh, it, it wasn't properly established uh, until uh, the 1280s by the Ordinance of Alsne, Alsne Stadgan, which was a, a royal ordinance that it said a lot of things. But amongst those things, it, it said that uh, those who uh, can uh, provide a, a mounted warrior with with a suit of armor and and horses and everything that you needed would be exempt from from royal tax. You would still, of course, have to pay a tithe to the church, um, mm. but but then so, so you have you have a difference uh, between, and I think this is quite common in other places as well. But there is a difference between being noble and being a knight. So you you you're not necessarily a knight just because you're a noble, and you're not necessarily a knight 
just because uh, you you're noble, um, and and so because providing a, a mounted warrior could be uh, immensely expensive, which was kind of oh, the yeah. excuse for for not having to pay taxes. And as as an example, um, just just because you weren't a knight didn't mean that you couldn't be a very rich and or influential noble. Um, the person that was at the time the richest person in Sweden called Bo Jonsson Grip, uh, Bo Jonsson Grip, uh, he he never actually became a knight, and I haven't really figured out why because he probably could afford it, but. Uh, he was he was still technically a squire, uh, but hmm. he was of a noble family. Uh, but he he probably didn't think it was worthwhile, or perhaps he wasn't kind of the, the, the kind of person who was much of a of, of a warrior. So he would prefer not to do it, or or it could just be like tax planning that it's like yeah okay I'm I'm gonna if if I have to pay taxes I'm gonna have to pay this much, but if I have to pay the upkeep for for a night, then it's going to be more expensive. Yeah, I just keep on paying taxes. <laughs> uh, so, and and again, this is something that you could um, that you could use in in your games. Like, oh, are are you a noble? Uh, well, I'm a knight, and and you're not. So I'm I'm going to look down on you. Um, and and like I would imagine that the the martial uh, clans, like the Ventru or or the Brugia for that matter, Timich even uh, would perhaps hold knights in higher regards than at least some of the other nobles just because they they actually show that they are proper fighters and warriors um, yeah uh, unlike and just this being is... a rich person who holds a lot of land yeah and this this marks uh, a difference between areas influenced uh, by the Franks and areas not influenced by the Franks because um, a lot of things can be traced back to um, to Roman times and mm. obviously in Roman times you had the equites uh, yeah. which were the class just below the patricians and the equites and the patricians were sort of the, the nobility in Roman times and that had a lot to do with, with ancestry and then the Western Roman Empire collapsed and you obviously had all of these um, various uh, quote-unquote barbarian groups, you had these migrating groups, and you had battles between them and the people who had sort of become Romanized, like, for example, the Franks in modern-day France and Western Germany. And they gelled under uh, Charles Martel, which is just the greatest name ever, Charles Martel, Charles the Hammer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I I absolutely love that name. Yeah. Uh, that and then, is, is it his grandson who is Pepin the Lesser? Uh, the Short, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it was his son. Yeah. Uh, but there's yeah Pepin the Short. I think Pepin the Short was his son because he was then the father of Charlemagne. Uh, or, or as he was Being just Charlie known. to the Americans. <laughs> yeah, Charlie to his friends. Yeah. Um, but but. Charlemagne was really the one who who brought together this idea of um, of quote unquote modern nobility, modern for for the Middle Ages, where the idea was that nobles were people who owned land. Land ownership was very important. You had uh, commoners who owned land, but they didn't own enough land. In order to be a nobleman, you had to own enough land that you could do military service to Charlemagne because he needed military service. In in the Roman times, you obviously had the legions, and you could have the legions 
because the Romans were organized and they had a land tax. They, they taxed land. In, um, in the Frankish times, you were, they weren't organized enough. They were a lot more organized than anyone else, but they weren't organized enough to actually have standing armies at that level. And they weren't organized enough to levy a land tax. So they uh, taxed uh, production instead of land, yeah. uh, which they couldn't do at, a, at such a great level, which meant that uh, Charlemagne couldn't have uh, much in the way of a standing army. He could pay for soldiers out of his own pocket, which meant he could have a retinue. And that's how it, it became that people who had enough money, usually nobles, but also things like bishops and archbishops, and later on the big cities, the free cities, you could have a standing retinue of X amount of re uh, usually actually quite elite soldiers, but much smaller that, than you'd imagine. I mean, if you were a count in, in France, you might have a retinue of 25 people, and that would be considered quite an effective fighting force. Yeah. Um, and so Charlemagne, he had these nobles uh, who then became knights and famously 12 of them, I think it was, became the paladins. Mm. Um, but but he had these that became knights. And this then grew into the idea of knighthood uh, in the areas that were either conquered by or influenced by Francia. Uh, and it never got all the way to Scandinavia. And it only really came to the British Isles with uh, the Norman conquest because they obviously brought their, these ideals with them. Uh, so in Eastern Europe and in Scandinavia, you had a different approach to it, whereas up here in Scandinavia, you obviously had the idea of the uh, uh, Huskarl, Huskarls, uh, the, the people who served the, the noble Jarls and the king. And this then later merged with the feudal society that slowly began to come in. And as you say, by in, in 1242, which is when the latest Dark Ages takes place, um, feudalism hadn't been established uh, all that well in Sweden. It had only really been sort of enforced on Denmark in the last um, couple of... Um, I've completely forgotten the words that I'm looking for. Decades! Decades. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, under under the, the Valdemar kings who realized just what was needed in order to compete on the European stage because Denmark was more connected to um, the Europe south of it than Sweden was. Yeah, exactly. So for them it was more important. Yeah. Um, and and so you have this idea that uh, nobles had to be warriors as well growing out of the Carolingian world and the Carolingian uh, both conquest but also need to defend themselves against uh, enemies from, from outside. So they, they formed the idea of of knighthood equals nobility, nobility equals knighthood, that became feudalism, which then slowly spread to all the areas that got conquered by Christian rulers because of feudalism becoming part of Christianity. And with that, it's also worth noting that uh, it it was a very gradual shift away from uh, churchmen not being knights because obviously yeah. there's the famous one from the bio tapestry and the battle of hastings where uh william the conqueror's brother was his name odo i think uh, yeah. uh yeah the bishop riding into battle and uh once again returning to the the franks they put their um they put their nobles in charge of uh, of the church they made them abbots and bishops and you had uh, the archbishop of um is it Reims, I think, 
Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Turpin, who was renowned both as a warrior and as an archbishop and really features heavily in the stories of Charlemagne as this warrior bishop. Yeah, you, you had especially bishops uh, were, yeah. were quite fond of, of being uh, fighting in wars. You have that, and I can't remember uh, where where you have uh, um, one of the ones in. I think he's fighting against the Black Prince during the Hundred Years' War, uh, and but it's it's uh, like he's and and again bishops uh, and archbishops, of course weren't necessarily just uh, the uh, the religious leaders they could rule quite large tracts of land yeah. as well so you, you had could be like... you could be a, a, a count bishop yeah. or a duke arch, archbishop you could have dual titles yeah, exactly. which the church really didn't like yeah and and so so you you would have of course then when it comes to times of war you would have to lead your army and of course you you necessarily you didn't necessarily have to right in the forefront actually fighting unless you were the kind of bishop that wanted to but you would still probably be present on the battlefield and um and and fighting alongside them uh, or or at least like leading the troops and and waving the banner and and shouting deus vult at at your <laughs> troops so but 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 yeah it's the the whole idea of feudalism of course we must always remember just like you said that it's it's not something that just pops out and and is established everywhere it takes some time uh, like i mentioned the the ordinance of of Alsna, uh, was from 1280 uh, and of course when when you write something down in a law it's usually because the the tradition of it has been around for quite some time already and and you just want to to codify it uh, yeah. so so you had the idea of of well some kind of of uh, martial service to to the king or something, and we, of course we had the huskal su- su- system and and leadum, which is kind of mm. basically a, kind of a conscription thing, uh, where where you have to serve in. Back then it was usually in in the fleet because that's when you had you would take your little boat and uh, or ship and you would row somewhere and beat up your neighbors and steal their sheep <laughs> and row back. Uh, but but yes, yeah, so you had you had a different kind of in in Sweden and. In, in Scandinavia in general, I would say you have more of these these families that that then became noble families because they're basically the biggest and the baddest around, so they can start bossing other people around, and they can afford uh, having actually, like you mentioned, actually having retinues of uh, of professional fighting men. Um, yeah. And and we must remember. I don't know if if. Our listeners already know this, but I'm just going to mention it anyway. That being a knight uh, is is a title, but the way a knight fought wasn't restricted to to the knighted class. So you would have the men at arms who are in basically um, every way and function uh, identical to a knight, at least on the battlefield, but they're not. Um, they're just not uh, nobility. So you you would have a mounted. Uh, warrior fighting with a lance and a shield and wearing the uh, heaviest and most protective armor around uh, and and this kind of system went on for well basically for as long as you have had heavy heavy mounted cavalry or yeah. mounted, that's that's a tautology but heavy armored <laughs> cavalry uh, so so you would you can still have a bunch of what we think of as knights even though they're not in, aren't necessarily uh, knighted or or even noble. 
Yeah, the thing is, it all comes back to money, really. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, it's very important to remember that uh, in the Middle Ages, most people, when they think of money, they think of money coming from land. Obviously, you had merchants getting really, really rich uh, in in the beginning of the 13th century. You have in certain areas, for example, Flanders, you have craftsmen becoming rich as well. But 90% of Europe at this point, money is tied in with land. If you have enough land, you have enough money, you have enough money, you can outfit someone as a knight. And who had those those kind of money? Well, you had the nobility who owned a lot of land. You actually had the church who yeah. owned a lot of land. But obviously, they rarely equipped much beyond some uh, soldiers to protect the church and then the occasional uh, bishop or archbishop who wanted to go to war. And then you had uh, the big knightly orders, the Teutonics, the Templars, the uh, Hospitallers, who became insanely rich. And they were really the ones who started this whole idea of of standing armies and of taking commoners and turning them into, like you said, men-at-arms and sergeants who would fight like knights because they had the equipment and they gained the training and training is also important because training takes time and yeah. if you're spending your time tilling the soil and milking the cows at 4 30 in the morning mm. um <laughs> and all those sorts of things then you don't have that much time and the the classic one uh, is the the laws in england where it said that a peasant had to take time out to practice the longbow but at the same time if you know it takes a hell of a long time and the right equipment to learn how to ride a horse wear armor wearing armor is a skill um swing a weapon whether it be a sword or an axe uh, aim a lance all these sorts of things so so you need to take time out and the person who's training needs to be fed and housed while they're training so it all comes back to one thing and that's money yeah. and usually money comes from land yeah and and when when we talk about money, we're we're actually talking about resources because of yeah. course there was cash money back then. But a lot of the times you would you would actually trade or barter. Uh, taxes would mo- most often be be paid in uh, in in like food or or wool or or even like n- n- uh, butter was quite common because it's it's Very relatively much. easy to uh, to transport and and to keep. Uh, and and so you you would pay like if you're a sheep farmer you would pay in in wool uh, wool and and yeah. sheep meat and stuff like that if you're a dairy farmer you would pay in cheese and so on and so on uh, and, yeah and but, uh, nobles see... rarely handled that much money yeah ex- yeah uh, and and you can actually see in uh, in in if you look in in the the tax ledgers you can see that uh, kings or the people who wanted the tax were like yeah okay now we need. Uh, this amount of, of meat because that's what we need in our castle. So this year we're going to, uh, or, or from this area or from these people, we're going to uh, collect the tax. They, they have to pay it in, in meat, uh, but these other people have to pay it in uh, in cloth or whatever. Um, mm. And uh, it's quite common, uh, and this is later on because that's from the time that we actually have preserved tax records, but like the... The Sami people of, of northern Scandinavia, they would quite often pay in uh, in furs. Uh, mm, and, yeah. But but then later on, when uh, when I think it was Gustav Vasa was one of the first, he he realized that that reindeer meat uh, 
is is quite good for for war provisions. So when when he started fighting stuff, and especially his sons and and uh, grandchildren, his grandson was Gustavus Adolphus, who is oh. uh, famous for for the Thirty Years' War and and uh, the atrocities that everyone committed back then. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. they, they they got a lot of of. Uh, taxes from from the Sami people in the form of uh, dried reindeer meat because it's it's something that you can just pack into barrels and ship down to the people fighting down uh, in on the continent. Uh, mm. So uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a sidetrack to medieval taxation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, taxes is also important because the nobility were the only ones that were really allowed to levy taxes. Yeah. Others were allowed to levy so many other things. The church obviously had the tithe. Yeah. And cities were allowed to have tariffs and tolls and everything. Mm. But taxation was really sort of the, the province of the nobility. So that's another thing that, that, that they could do. They could, uh, they could levy taxes. And they got really inventive sometimes on taxes. Yeah. Um, if, it's a funny thing. If you're ever in cities like, for example, um, Lübeck, you will sometimes see these houses that have false fronts with false windows. And you look at them and you go, why the hell did they build that? Well, because of window tax. Yeah, exactly. The thing was, sometimes when the nobility needed money, they would tax things like chimneys. If you had, for every chimney you had, you had to pay X amount of money. Uh, they would tax windows. For every window you had, you had X amount of money. And when... And the merchants on, they would tax of hats, for example, in uh, um, Queen, oh yeah, that's uh, right, Queen Elizabeth the, the first, first of England. I think now we know why nobody's hat. wearing hats in the pictures in the books. They want to avoid the tax. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, so but then the merchants of Lübeck grew filthy rich, and so they said we're going to build extra windows, windows that don't work, windows that are just for show, yeah. just to show that we can afford to pay that extra tax. So it's like uh, wearing a, a big gold chain with diamonds on it. It's basically showing, look what I can do. I can build windows that have no effect just to pay extra tax, just to show how much money I have. Yeah. And obviously the merchant next door would then build even more windows yeah. to show that he was richer. Um, so it's a it's a funny situation where you have extra windows just to pay extra tax. Yeah, and and then of course one of the most popular stories of of medieval fantasy ever is is basically a tax evader and a tax collector running around in Sherwood Forest trying to to <laughs> catch each other. So you have a sheriff of Not Nottingham, and if you're a sheriff, one of your duties would be to collect taxes. And Robin Hood and his merry men. Uh, was kind of opposed to that, so uh, so yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, you can you can do a lot of things with with taxes, and and especially like going back again to to the um, to the vampiric aspect of it. Uh, like if if you're a vampire who is very old and you have access to like the really old records, then you could probably uh, be a bit of an annoyance if you kind of like yeah, okay, I. My, uh, my my ventrue neighbors uh, are, uh, are are messing about and causing trouble for me. So I'm I'm just gonna see if I can find some kind of old tax record from from 300 years ago that says that they have to pay taxes on their 
I don't know, red hose uh, or something that they're, yeah. they're wearing. They're, they're wearing the the, the the tails on their hoods are too long, so they have to pay extra for it. Um, and especially if if you're playing in England, England has a common law system, which basically says that laws are are valid until there comes a law that says that they're explicitly not. And so if you can find a precedence from hundreds of years ago, of course, they change it a bit now in, in modern times. But, but back then, if you could find a precedence that said that, well, this is legal because in 1753 or in 893 or whatever, uh, yeah. the king allowed it, then technically it is still allowed. So so you can have a lot of fun with that, like the, the record keepers... Um, the, the the Nosferatu record keeper are are the ones that you really don't want to get on the wrong foot with because then all of a sudden they will have you have your or swans taxed or or whatever that you, you <laughs> yeah exactly you can't ride a chariot because they uh, they find some kind of of uh, uh, law against it or something like that yeah um, uh, and and if we keep it within the the realm of of uh, vampire, uh, an interesting example with checks and all that is the character that I'm currently playing in in our game in our Transylvania Chronicle games. He's the prince of a city, and he has levied a very very small tax, but still a tax on every vampire in his city, uh, including himself, which then goes into a common purse, and then any vampire in the city can make a request to that purse. Things like, um, I believe that if we uh, built up the docks on uh, the city river the city might grow and give us more resources i would like to tap in to the the common purse and distribute that to the people that is my domain who will then build up the docks for example uh, and that's an idea that my character got because ah. he was uh, he's a historian so he he knew about taxation from way back um what, and what i mean that's is he? he's he's la sombra la sombra oh, okay yeah that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he's, he's a nobleman, and he was the third son, so obviously he went into the church yeah. because of the whole heir, spare, prayer thing, where first son, he's the heir, second son, he's the spare if yeah. the heir dies, and the third son, well, since you can't really give him any land, you shuffle him up off to the church. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, he, which, he became a La Sombra, so... Yeah, yeah, and, and, and uh, quite um, the... Uh, the the bastard to uh, <laughs> to put it mildly Does but anyway he live but, in a monastery but, uh no he is about to live in a teutonic knight's castle because the teutonic knights have annoyed the um the king of hungary and he's about to kick them out of transylvania mm. and that means that there's a very nice very heavily fortified castle in my city that is going to have no occupants Ooh. yoink um so that's that's gonna be great, mm. um, but yeah, that's don't don't. I mean, you might be a powerful order of knights, but don't piss off the king of the area that you're in because you might get thrown out or you might be accused of heresy and burned at the stake. Yeah, like happened to the Templars in France because yeah. the king of France needed their money. Uh, <laughs> so again, extreme taxation. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, that that's extreme taxation. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're gonna kill all of you and take your stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, but but yeah, do, do you have any more thoughts on on like how different clans would would consider well, nobility? Well, in clans, uh, things where, where you are definitely outside the realm of feudalism, and generally, 
either outside the realm of sort of established lands or more in line with how Scandinavia was during the Viking Age. Nobility tends to be a case of, you know, being a chieftain, being the recognized leader mm-hmm. of a clan or the recognized ruler of a territory. And it tend, that, I would say, usually tends to be a combination of ancestry, I can trace myself back to this chieftain, this uh, jarl, this king, uh, very often fighting prowess. Fighting prowess is important. The ability to give gifts to those below you and also elections, because as weird as it may sound uh, to to some people, elective monarchy was very much a thing. Uh, I mean, in in Denmark and I assume Sweden and Norway, you had for a very long time elected kings. You couldn't elect any, just anyone, but um, they they had to be of the right family. But the kings were—you weren't just the king because you were the oldest son of the, the last king. No, no. When the last king died, there was an election. Yeah, and and one must remember that this was in no way a democracy because, as you mentioned, no. you had to be of the right family, and and quite often it was usually the son of the previous king because he most often had the resources to kind of show off that, yeah, look at me, I'm, I'm going to have a king. But but yeah, but not necessarily during, the oldest during, son. During this time period, uh, there was actually quite a lot of, of uh, fighting, uh, especially between Sweden and Denmark, because you were kind of like, <laughs> my family has to be the king. No, so we're going to chop the, the head of your uh, pretendant to the throne. And, and then you go back to Denmark and get all your friends and family and, and start a vendetta. It, it's actually kind of Game of Thrones or or like the stereotypical Italian mafia vendetta because it was like, yeah, you, you killed my ancestor some time ago, so I have to kill you. But yeah, but I only killed your ancestors because he killed one of my ancestors and, and so on and so on. So it, it wasn't actually until the, the 1500s that uh, Sweden was established as a, a hereditary monarchy so this went on for a long time and a lot of the the power struggles um in in scandinavia during this time was because people couldn't decide who to elect and someone would oh elect, yeah like yeah well we we voted for this guy to be king so he has to be it but and and then another group would be like well we we weren't even allowed to vote so f yeah. you i mean um yeah so the reason so, that... so it was it was interesting to say the least yeah the reason that denmark uh, it looks like it, uh, it it does and became united like it was and and started introducing feudalism quite early was because of a massive civil war mm-hmm. because the king died and then when he died uh, that was back in the um, 11th century you had uh, the kingdom of Jutland which includes the island of Funen the kingdom of Zealand and then the kingdom of Scania mm-hmm. which covers much of today's southern Sweden and each of these areas wanted their own king and they elected their own king of Denmark and all three kings went I'm the king but the problem was they'd only been elected to their area so the king of of Jutland had only been elected king of Denmark in Jutland and it led to a great war and the winner of that war was uh, Valdemar who was a scion uh, of the um, of the biggest family in uh, on Sealand which was a very powerful family and when he won he realized this could happen again. So he did his best to abolish the whole election system and, and almost succeeded. And 
began introducing feudalism to Denmark in order to prevent this kind of, of thing happening. So he, he nullified the three kingdoms of Denmark and made Denmark a single kingdom under one king and supposedly the son of that king would then become the king. It took a while to, to take, but that was simply the result of a massive civil war where everyone was trying to get their guy to become king. Yeah, and and again, it, it worked kind of back and forth between because quite often you you had a, back then you already had the kingdom of of Denmark Norway right and and then you had yeah. Sweden and and of course a lot of these people were were in or families rather were were intermarried to each other so it it would often be like yeah okay now this person died so I'm I'm gonna stake my claim to the throne because I have this. My my grandmother's sister was married to the king of whatever, so you should elect yeah. me to the king. And and then of course it it turned into all kinds of, of uh, uh, yeah almost civil wars in a time. Uh, so uh, but but what I find interesting, but uh, or just as an interesting side note, is that uh, you didn't also have only have kings. You had uh, quite a few queens who who oh, yeah. set their stake. So you had. Um, she she had the derogatory name uh, King Pantsless because she was a woman and <laughs> yep. thus was wasn't wearing pants. Uh, Queen Margarete Valdemar's daughter. So, uh, but she was the daughter of a later Valdemar. Uh, she was born in 1353, um, and and she she was a regent of uh, basically the whole of the, of the Norg region because she yeah. uh, you you actually had a, a union of. Uh, Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, and of course, during this time, Finland was a part of Sweden, and Iceland was a part of of Denmark, Norway. So, so she, yeah. she ruled quite a bit, and and then of course it didn't really work for long, and and when she died of the plague, uh, there there was uh, discussion on who had to take over and and who should rule what and and whatever. So you were kind of back to the to the old times again for for a while. She was she was incredible the the hanseatic league uh kind of went okay you're a woman on the throne that means you're weak uh so we are just going to demand that we get special consideration and she went uh no hmm. screw you guys and just went um uh, in, in a war of wills against the entire hanseatic league and won while at the same time holding together this kalmar union as it was called and like you said, when she died, everything collapsed because her descendants just did not have the power that she did. So any ideas of like weak and timid women in the Middle Ages, you can forget about those because she was she was the one that united all of the Nordic countries and held them together. And she wasn't about to give it up for no man. Yeah, yeah. And and what's what what's interesting is that for for a period of of her reign, there was actually a well, if it's a pope, it would be an anti-pope, but I think they yeah. called counter-kings or, or counter-regent, uh, yeah. Albrecht of, of Mecklenburg, who was uh, yep. king of Sweden for a while. And, and they were they actually fought quite a bit for uh, for quite some time, but uh, I think he uh, he was uh, exiled in the end. Uh, it didn't really work out for him. Um, mm. But but yeah, from, from a vampiric uh, noble point of view, so to, so to speak... I, uh, like you mentioned, there would probably be a lot of focus more on on lineage, uh, and yeah. b- because a lot of the the worldly uh, possessions and stuff like that doesn't really matter to 
to a, a vampire. Of course, you you still need the, the resources to to do stuff. But uh, I'm I'm thinking that again, this kind of differs between culture as well. But but we we talked a bit of of the uh, Ventru that they would probably focus a bit more on uh, on on the martial aspects. Uh, yeah. And I'm 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 thinking if if we're going a bit stereotypical since you have to do uh like some some clans probably wouldn't care too much about um about nobility at all like malkavians probably wouldn't care if if you're a noble or if you're a lowly peasant and and especially if you're a madman it can be quite hard to keep on to uh <laughs> to to your to your land holdings if you don't make the right decisions so yeah. if, if you could of course you could be a, a noble malkavian because a malkavian uh, embraces a noble person but you would probably need a, quite a bit of, of help uh, running your lands or or you would could always end up like all of this like uh, elizabeth of bathory and and all of those kinds of, of <laughs> crazy people who who managed to stay in power just because they were so uh, powerful uh, yeah. that, that people didn't dare complaining. Um, yeah, um, but we've we've spent quite a lot of time talking about this. I I think we should probably jump yeah, on to I, the I next hope, one. Otherwise, I hope this, this is... answered at least a bit of Luke's question. Otherwise, we're, I, I, I hope probably... people listening to this find find at least some of this interesting yeah. because well, otherwise they can just turn off. Mm. But this 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 is what we do, people. Yeah. <laughs> so the second one was, uh, what would meeting the prince be like in a couple of different major cities or even minor ones? Um, and I'll say, uh, obviously we can give specific examples and I thought of, them, thought of some, but I would say that there is a divide and the divide is whether or not the city... Um, I'm going to focus on on Western Europe here because if you go uh, to um, to the Byzantine Empire or to the um, Islamic world, then things are going to be very different. Mm. But I would say that it depends whether or not the city is a former Roman city or not, because in the Middle Ages, Rome was so prestigious. The the, the Roman times were so prestigious uh, among mortals and also among vampires um, that. If it is a former Roman city, then a prince would do their best to set up in a Roman building. Yeah. Uh, because then they can draw uh, a parallel back to the Roman times. And if they don't, it is to make a statement. Uh, you may have a prince who was uh, an embraced member of some kind of Celtish tribe who fought against the Roman, who is then specifically setting up somewhere else to show... I do not care for for my Roman ancestry, but when it comes to um, when it comes to places that were taken over by by the Romans, I would say nine times out of ten, if not more, you would meet in either uh, or an old Roman villa, an old Roman fortification, mm. a bathhouse, as we talked yeah. about uh, last time, things like that, in order for the prince to show their sort of legitimacy as they. Um, draw parallels back to the glory of Rome. I'm, I'm, Where, I'm thinking though that it, it could be kind of cool for for a, a Celtic vampire to set up in a Roman villa just as a as a fuck you to the Romans. Actually, like that could definitely yeah, look, also look, work. Look yeah. who survived who, Caesar, <laughs> uh, or, yeah. or whatever. And 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 of course, there's there's also the practical aspect of of the fact that 
Roman uh, era or, or Roman buildings are really well built. Uh, with, oh yeah, you you still drive on in in Italy. Part of the highways uh, around Rome is actually uh, the the actual Roman highways built back in the whenever BC. So so yeah, yeah. they they knew how to build it, build stuff. And and if you're a yeah. vampire, you you want a haven that can last for quite a bit. Yeah, if you're outside Roman areas, then it's depending on where you are, it could be very, very difficult to actually find any buildings that are grand enough that you can have a court uh, and a good meeting there. So meetings will be a lot less ostentatious. Uh, I mean, if you were to meet the prince of Copenhagen or Roskilde, the, the two major cities in, in Denmark in, in the 1240s, um, you have... Copenhagen Castle, which at this point is a very small castle on on a small muddy island. Roskilde, you'd probably find some place in Roskilde Cathedral that didn't have uh, too much true faith, uh, or or possibly if there were any area that didn't have any, and then meet there because that was the big building. Uh, and that's the thing. I mean, some places would have castles, but. Not the big kind of castles that you think about today. Not these huge stone castles. A lot of castles were uh, 50% or more wood. Um, so And they wouldn't have massive basements. So it would often actually be religious buildings. You would have things like a cathedral or... Uh, and now we're getting into uh, an area we like. Monasteries. <laughs> yeah. If you have a monastery inside a city, they tended to have uh, these rather impressive vaults underneath there is uh, the Heiligen Geistspital or the uh, Spital of the Holy Ghost or Host Spital Hospital mm. in um, in Lübeck which was built just around 1340 sorry 1240 um, I've been in the vaults underneath because there's a restaurant there and whoa they're huge they're impressive they they are well built a place like that would make an ideal meeting place especially if you are a religious a christian vampire then churches cathedrals monasteries where you can avoid the true faith would be a place to set up your court yeah that's i i like that that you you use the the surroundings and you, you can get a, a really cool mix of of old and new and and like for example this place that you mentioned it, it would have been brand new in in the 12 forests so so it wouldn't be again like when when we look at all buildings we see them five or six or even a, uh, 600 or even a thousand years after they were built but but back yeah. then when when they were new they would have been even more impressive or and uh, impressive in different ways they would be painted and everything would be fresh uh, if if they are uh, if if you have some kind of uh, uh, chalked uh, walls like with white plaster walls, they wouldn't have been turned uh, black by smoke yet and stuff like that. So you would you would have um, yeah, like you mentioned, they they meeting your uh, your guests in this brand new uh, was it a catacomb or a tomb or uh... Uh, no? It was the vaults underneath the uh, monastery slash hospital. Mm, yeah, so so that would be. Uh, a very cool place for if if you want to show off uh, that you're you're an urban vampire. Um, yeah. If if we move out to the countryside, because like the question says, even minor ones uh, when talking about cities and and the thing was like like 
during this time in in both Sweden and Denmark, there weren't really a, that any big cities. There, there was a few thousand inhabitants at at the most, uh, but because most people were living in the countryside because they were peasants. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking that especially up here in in Scandinavia, where where you have the the kind of pagan tradition, and and you also have the tradition of of the ting, which is the uh, the meeting. Uh, or basically a primitive form of, of, of parliament or town hall meeting. And you would yeah. often have uh, a place uh, outside. In, in I- Iceland, they still have the most impressive outing here because it's it's in the middle of, of nowhere, but it's this huge, impressive landmark. So if you, you've, you've been there, actually, haven't you? No, 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 I haven't, but I want to go there at some point. My my sister lives in Iceland, so I want to visit her at one point. Mm. And yes, I definitely want to go to the uh, to the Swedish thing because I I want to see that. Yeah. Uh, so so um, it's Thingvellir. Um, uh, it's called, uh, which means the the thing wall because it's it's uh, on this side of of. Uh, this this mountain uh, cliffside basically, and it's it's really impressive. So so if if you're the prince, I guess you would probably be the prince of, of the whole of Iceland because there weren't really that many people. <laughs> yeah. You would you would definitely meet uh, people there, and and the same like if if you're an old gangrel and you have uh, in in Uppsala, I would imagine that you would meet in in what is now Gamla Uppsala, old. Uppsala, because that's where the pagan temple was, and that's where the first um, uh, church was. Uh, well, you would definitely meet there because they've actually established who uh, rules Uppsala as a vampire in the Dark Ages timeline, and that's a fourth generation gangrel who calls himself the All High or the All Father. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> so uh, for, uh, he would definitely choose a yeah, pagan so, place. So, so you would meet there, and and I, I would. In, in my game, so to speak, or, or what I would think would be cool would be like if you find this this old sacred grove, perhaps, and, uh, oh, yeah. and and as we kind of talked about, like places that way back when was far outside of a city could be really close or even inside a city uh, in more modern times. So this this sacred grove or or sacred tree, perhaps just or a sacred spring. Um, could could be uh, something that has been outside of a city, uh, but but uh, now has been like the city has grown around it, and that could be the meeting place for uh, for the prince and uh, greeting their their guests. Uh, in in Uppsala, for example, we have uh, the the spring of of Saint Eric, who was he's actually not canonized, uh, so he's, <laughs> he's one of these folk saints, but uh, he was. Um, uh, he was killed outside the, the new, newly built cathedral in in modern Uppsala, and it, uh, the story goes that where his head fell, uh, a spring popped out of of the ground, and and if you drank from it, uh, you would be healed from all your ailments and stuff like that. There is actually a spring there, uh, but I I don't know if you, they allow you to drink from it. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so so you you would have places like this uh, and. and uh, you would you would kind of show off the importance of not only yourself but but kind of the land as well. Um, yeah, and and it's it's always been a thing in vampire that vampires copy humans. So I think it's it's something very interesting that you say that I really agree with this. That if you're meeting in uh, northern Germany, Scandinavia, uh, Iceland, 
you'd probably meet the prince, yes, as part of a, a, a sort of a thing affair where it would not be the prince ruling his court, but an, a, a more, um, at least to more southern eyes, unruly affair where everyone gets to have a say and everybody gets to talk. And in the end, the prince sort of sums things up and, and welcomes you. And there will also be uh, a great important place on the idea of guest friendship. Yeah. If you're accepted, then you're accepted as an honored guest and, and given a lot of protection. Whereas in the South, it will be a lot more formal. You'll be looking at the feudal uh, courts, obviously, again, depending on the prince. For example, I'm thinking that um, a very well-known prince would be Mithras of London. Mm -hmm. Meeting him would probably given who he is, be a rather martial affair. You know, it would be uh, under very strict uh, formal rules and and you would be expected to comport yourself in a, a, a sort of a, a very rigid manner and everything would be uh, under very strict rules because he has a martial uh, bent. So it would be uh, kind of like meeting a general. Yeah, exactly. And, and of course, because... Uh, his his traditions, in, in a way, don't really feudal because he predates feudalism. Yeah, so, so you exactly. could also have like, uh, if if you're down in ancient Greece, for example, you would meet in an amph amphitheater and have a philosophical discussion before being accepted or or allowed to yeah. enter or something like that. So so you could you could do a lot of interesting things with. Uh, with with the different cultures or where mm. where it takes place, so I don't know. Perhaps a a more uh, mercantile prince would would perhaps challenge you to a, a game of backgammon or or something like that, or 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 basically say, well, what can you bring to this yeah. city? For example, when you say mercantile, uh, if we take Flanders, which was a, a real mercantile powerhouse at this time if you're meeting uh the prince of say bruges or ghent or any of these cities uh, probably it would take place in something called a cloth hall which were these gargantuan for the time buildings they had in these cities where they were called cloth halls because you mainly traded cloth but all sorts of mer mercantile affairs took place so you'd meet there and the prince would probably ensure that you would get an idea of the wealth of his city and he would be okay if you're just passing through i want to know your business uh and would probably hope for you to have a letter of introduction but if you want to settle there it would be what can you bring to this city because we don't want freeloaders in other cities it might be well of course you're welcome i'm showing off my largesse or yeah. you have a proud lineage you can stay in my city but in in one of those city, it, cities it would be what can you bring to the table no freeloaders yeah exactly and and again this this can bring on some interesting um, kind of personal conflicts between Older vampires who are all about uh, largesse and and uh, lineage and stuff like that, and and the more modern vampires who is all about the monies. So yeah, uh, and if you wanted to uh, uh, take another city, uh, one that I absolutely love, Venice, uh, the prince there, uh, he would. Uh, the, the Doge's Palace hasn't been built yet, but you still have the Cathedral of Saint Mark and Saint Mark Square, which is really impressive area today and it would have been a really impressive area back then so a meeting would probably be in some kind of building uh on saint mark's square or you might actually meet outside at saint mark's square and uh it would be impressing the person who has arrived with the wealth and the religious grandeur of um of venice and because the prince of venice 
I think it's called Gilelmo Alprando or something like that. He's a member of the of the Canite Heresy, which we covered in one ah. of the previous books. Um, he would obviously uh, emphasize the religious nature of it and also probably try to learn about the newcomers' religious leaning. See, is this someone who could be introduced into the Canite Heresy? Is this someone I should be uh, wary of because they would be opposed to it? Uh, sort of of trying to measure their uh, the, the newcomers standing in relations to the um, the Canite heresy, and I think a lot of, of of princes would probably think about what is most important to them. How do they fit in? Like Toreador princes in uh, in France uh, would probably go, okay, how is this person going to fit into my court of love? Yeah, exactly. And and I was I was thinking about the same thing that like if if we uh, Think of this from from a storytelling perspective or a character perspective. That that what what I would focus on, uh, like, would be to as as a player or as a player character, would be like what what do I think that the prince that I'm meeting for the first time would want of me? Do I yeah. do I come here wearing my sword because I want to show what a what a great fighter I am? Should I should I wear Fancy clothes to to show how rich uh, rich I am. Should I uh, read him or her a poem to show that that I'm a great poet and and uh, a, a literate person who who has uh, who actually knows things about things? Or so so I, that's that's kind of like from from a, a gaming perspective or a, or a story perspective is is what I would focus on with with these kinds of things. So. So yeah, like yeah. like you said, that in in these Hanseatic towns or in these uh, uh, towns that focus a lot of on uh, on trading and stuff, you you could uh, you could emphasize that, and you could probably even exaggerate it quite a bit, just just to make a point of it. Like like you have this, you you you're met by the prince, and they actually roll out the red carpet. That just being the the bolt of red cloth that they had lying around in this. Uh, yeah. In this this cloth warehouse or or something like that, or you could have, like if you if you're meeting Prince Mithras, he would be coming riding towards you on gold horses with his gold men at arms at his side, all, all wearing shining uh, chainmail and and wearing lance uh, carrying lances or something like that. Yeah. So and you may- yeah you just just take it and and uh, put it on eleven. It, Go, yeah. go to 11 and, and just go crazy with it. <laughs> you make a, a really good point here, actually, because let's say you're meeting a prince of a city in Scandinavia where a lot of princes might harken back to the uh, to the Viking Age. Mm. If you meet them, then two things will probably be important. First, when you introduce yourself, if you can do it in poetry form, oh, yeah. that's going to win you a yeah. lot of points. And brag. Yeah. Basically, big yourself up but if you meet someone like, say, Mithras, then be 100% honest because that's something he will respect. He will respect honesty, whereas a, a, a Viking prince will respect someone who's just going, I am the baddest badass you're ever going yeah. to meet. But if you then go to, say, a co- the courts of love in France, then wear the latest fashion, be ready to spout poetry, but be humble. Don't yeah. don't pick yourself up because that's not something that you do in those courts. Yeah. Whereas if you go to any of the Hanseatic League cities or to Flanders, then wear not only the latest fashions, but also stuff yourself with jewelry yeah, exactly. as much as you can afford yeah. to show off just how wealthy you are. Yeah. 
but then don't don't start bragging because they're going to see through that. Brag with what you're wearing. Yeah, exactly. So so it's 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 really up to you, and they are going to react to how you look. Um, because it's it's uh, that that's a, uh, an important thing about it is, is presentation, uh, and so it's also very important for you to be able to read the room. Um, I'm thinking, for example, uh, Lübeck is uh, a relatively young city at this point, but is a city that is big, that is growing, that is rich. Whoever's in charge of that city could very well it could very well be a council rather than a single prince or a prince who rules with the aid of a council. Oh, yeah. So when when you're meeting the prince and the council, then you need to read the fact that this is a pseudo um, pseudo republic style of thing, and don't give too much deference to the prince. Make sure that you show that that you are an independent person, because that's something that they are going to respect, um, and and so they're they're going to have a meeting that shows off what kind of city uh, it is, and and you know that it is a merchant city so you should be someone who can integrate into a merchant city yeah exactly it's it's uh, basically when in rome uh so, yeah so but but yeah i i don't know if uh if luke are you are you satisfied with this question otherwise just ask in the in the group and we'll expand even more on it but but as as a general uh kind of very gen generic answer to it I, I would say that it depends on on your uh, on the culture where the prince live uh, and, uh, and and we're given quite a few examples but yeah. uh, again just just to reiterate from a storytelling perspective because um, vampire isn't isn't just a wall of darkness where everything has to be a bit more gloomy and, and dark uh, darker than our world I, I would say like make make everything cooler as well like the, the uh, you you can exaggerate. Let 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 a duke have fifty uh, men at arms as the retinue instead of just twenty five yeah. because that's that's just cooler and and stuff like that. And, and and or have the have the horses be be bigger and more impressive and the uh, the the lances are are sharper and and everything like that. The the cloak should be even more billowing in the court of love and so stuff like that. But. But, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll end off with uh, with two examples from the game that we're playing currently. Mm. There is um, one of uh, the players, uh, Martin. He's playing a Tsimish, and if you meet him, uh, he's uh, he's not uh, quite a prince uh, because he doesn't have a city. But of course, being a Tsimish, that's not important to him. But he does have uh, quite the territory. So he is um, he is a, what is called a Knez. And if you meet him in his castle, then you'll meet someone who is heavily modified. So it's quite clear that he's not human. He has used uh, Tzimish magic to make sure that his entire castle uh, has awakened minor spirits that can open the doors for you. Uh, you'll see modified humans running around and he's wearing a cloak made of the skins of defeated enemies. Ooh. So he's going for massive... Uh, well... He wouldn't necessarily consider it creep factor, but it is massive creep factor, yeah. which is a way of testing. Can you relate and uh, accept the kind of stuff that you're getting into here, which is the Tsimish way of flesh crafting and spirit awakenings and things like that? that is uh, cool. So, so. Yeah, you're basically you're going to be judged on how you react to the fact that he has clearly inhuman serving running around, and he's clearly inhuman himself, and and 
you know, he's killed many Tremere and their skins have become his cloak. So that's that's his approach to it. If you were to meet my character, who's the prince of one of the biggest and most prosperous cities in the area, you're going to be meeting him once I've taken over the castle in the the old um, Teutonic Knights castle. Currently, he has uh, another um, place which is also quite impressive, which is vaults underneath um, a, uh, a monastery that's being built. And it's going to be a very formal affair. Uh, he's someone who uh, is a, was a nobleman in life. Uh, he tries to hold on to these things, but there's going to be just the tiniest hint of creepiness as well, because the character that I play is also an abyss mystic. And uh, that means his eyes are completely black, and he has an unconscious tendency to play with the shadows, and there might be something flitting in the shadows. As you sit and interact with this person who is going to be very, very um, calm and formal and spend a lot of time trying to get to know you. Uh, but my character, there's just something off about him, uh, which he hasn't realized himself. So it's, it's going to be a situation where you're going to constantly try not to look around and see what's in the shadows as you, as you talk to this person who is go going to do his best to show off just how impressive his city is, because that's one thing he's very, um, he's very proud of his city. Yeah, that's that sounds really cool. I'm I'm just getting the uh, <laughs> the the image of the uh, Simpson Halloween episode where uh, where Mr. Burns is is Dracula and and his shadow is is playing around oh, in the yeah. background, doing doing playing with a yo-yo. Uh, so you, you need to get your shadow a yo-yo to. Properly. Apparently so. Yeah. I love I love the fact that we're we're a three person group and the the without a doubt the most normal person uh, the one that's going to be the nicest to meet is the Malkavian. <laughs> yeah, that, that says quite a lot. So the Tsumish and the La Sombra are really screwed up. Yeah. Uh, but all right, <laughs> I hope uh, that our listeners uh, like that. And um, if you have any suggestions on what we should talk about for side quests. There is the Patreon for you to ask on. You can also ask on our Facebook page because we're probably going to do it, but we're going to give preference to anyone who asks on Patreon. Yeah, and, and it's it's really cool that we actually have patrons. So uh, thanks thank, thanks again to all of you. Uh, and, and thanks yeah. to our listeners as well because it's it's really cool that people actually take the time and, and listen to these two rambling Scandinavians. Yeah. Anyway, uh, next Friday we will be taking a look at Libellus Sanguinis 3, Wolves at the Door. Peter, do you have any last comments? Uh, not really. Uh, just, I hope everyone has a nice weekend. Yeah. In that case, it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell, and see you next time. Bye! Bye!